this. But welcome to church this morning. It's December 19th. We are six days away from Christmas. And I am like a full November 1st is Christmas type person. That's when I start putting up my tree. That's my jam. But this year, I have yet to complete all of my Christmas shopping. And I had like a Christmas activity list, and I think I did two things on it. So poor time management. But thankfully, I was ready to go for today, which is the greatest Sunday of all of Advent, not just because I'm preaching, but because today is love. When Pastor Marlowe first offered to let me preach this sermon, uh, the idea was that who better to preach on love than a newlywed? But I think the actual truth was that who better to preach on love and Christmas than the biggest fan of Christmas and Christmas movies? There's some debate on our staff team about how good Christmas movies are, and I'm a little bit outnumbered, but I still think that Christmas is the best time of year ever for movies and TV specials. Everything from A Christmas Story to Charlie Brown Christmas, Elf, The Grinch, the one with Jim Carrey especially, I'd even throw a Hallmark movie or two in there to really make it feel like Christmas. See, this is where it starts. <laughs> I heard from the side. But, uh, and then, you know, you have some like of those true Christmas classics that make me actively thank Jesus that we have 4K because I can't live like this. All great things to remind us of what December really means. So I, throughout the year, I'm more of like the office on repeat type person. But come December, I have a whole list of movies and shows that I need to see for it to feel like Christmas. Shameless plug, if you're the same, where better to watch them than our drive-in movie theater that's happening tonight here at Eaglemont. But I am not ashamed to stand here today and to defend myself in saying that one of the Christmas movies I fully believe is Die Hard with Bruce Willis. It's a hot topic, I know. There's a lot of debate. I heard it on the radio as well. But I do believe that just because it snows in a movie doesn't make it Christmas. And I've heard both sides of debate for Die Hard if it really qualifies as a Christmas movie or not. So let's just get this out in the open as we start. On the side of it not being a Christmas movie, it was released in July. I looked it up. Okay, so maybe not like the Christmas premiere of the, you know, whatever. Um, not near Christmas. And it technically has no Christmas story in it. No one gives a gift. Santa makes no appearance. No one mentions hot chocolate. The only thing that would really make it a Christmas movie was that it happened at a Christmas party. But I'm going to argue that. The story does, in fact, relate to Christmas if you think really hard and ignore most facts that would contradict it. So hear me out, hear me out. The biblical Christmas story is about God's redemption plan to save us and is filled with unconditional love and sacrifice. And Die Hard is an attempt at mirroring. Like, it, you know, they tried to mirror it, except not at all, or even like remotely, but don't lose me yet, stay here. The story is about John McClane, New York City cop, who arrives in Los Angeles on Christmas Eve to see his wife win her back. It's beautiful. And so he's at his wife's Christmas party at the Nakatomi Tower, and then it gets robbed. And the tower's like stacked with money. I actually have no idea what they do. I don't think it says. But they had a lot of money, and Hans Gruber and his group come, and they try to steal millions of dollars. And as any good action movie, uh, Christmas movie is what I meant, would have it, uh, everyone gets taken hostage except for our hero, John McClane, who now has to save the tower and everyone in it. That sounds Christmassy. 
So the rest of this story is one guy versus a whole team of robbers, all while being barefoot, which is somehow central to the story. Broken glass, gunshots, all of it was done to save his wife regardless of his own safety. Christmas is about love and sacrifice, and this guy gets it. See? Christmas movie. Now, as of tomorrow, I will have been married one whole month. So naturally, I asked my new husband if he would take out the garbage through the snow barefoot, like my favorite Christmas movie. And being newlyweds, do you know what he said? No. Just a straight up no. So I guess the honeymoon phase is over. <laughs> but just a reminder to everyone, John McClane would never have said no to his wife. <laughs> but I won't spoil the end of this 1988 film in case you were waiting for the 35-year mark to watch it. Uh, but Christmas is saved and love is shown to be real and alive. Christmas love, the whole Christmas love story, um, well, it might come from Die Hard for some, or maybe it's that Hallmark small town meet cute story. Yep, I said it. I'm not taking it back, Hallmark. Uh, but those movies are gold, unlike Pastor Joel said publicly last week. But Christmas movies are all about love. The Grinch is a story of a man whose heart grows three sizes because a little girl showed him love and acceptance. Elf is about a father-son relationship. Every single Hallmark movie is about love. And, okay, I need to be honest, I'm sorry, Terry. I'm really confused about a Christmas story and how any of that relates to, like, anything. But I'm sure there's something in there that has to do with love. So while they're all great love stories, they are not the love story from Christmas. They aren't the reason that today's Advent candle is called love. Because in the midst of all the more modern Christmas stories, we have the original Christmas story the one that in a very real way gave birth to all the others. And that is the birth of Jesus Christ. I know most of you have probably heard the Christmas story before, but I want to take some time and I want to read it this morning. So it'll be Luke 1, 26 to 38, and then 2, 4 to 20. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, who is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The true Christmas story holds so much more excitement and joy than what can be shown on TV or through a movie. This story promises healing, it promises us redemption, and it's an everlasting love. And of course, that is the love that this day of Advent is all about. But let's look into it a little bit further. Now, one of the most famous pieces of the Bible would be from one of Jesus' famous teachings, which is called the Golden Rule, which is do unto others what you would want them to do to you. What's less known about this is that actually it's a restatement of something else Jesus had said, which is that the meaning of life is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And these verses come from Mark 12, 29 to 31, which say, the most important one, this is when he was asked about what the most important commandment was, Jesus answered, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now that is a really beautiful sentiment and something that has been adopted by far more than just the Christian world. But what exactly does he mean by the word love? Now love is a kind of a difficult word to fully understand because it ends up being really unclear in English. So the Bible Project used this as an example and I really liked it. They said, love is confusing because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom is going to feel really bad. And I thought, well, that's a good way to explain it. I love pizza, but I do see that I would be pretty offended if my mom said that me and pizza were equal. I'd be happy if she said me and my brother were equal, but I'm the favorite, so what can you do? So to fully understand, we need to look at what Jesus meant in his language when he used the word love. Now first, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, what actually was said after that was probably translated to Aramaic, in which the word was rachma. But then Jesus would have translated it again around the world, and they would have translated it Greek, which would have been agape. So we have all three different versions there. But here's what's interesting. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in an ancient dictionary. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to truly define what that very concept of love meant. 
They went directly to the source to find their meaning. These verses come from a story in Mark 12, where one of the teachers of the law at the time came into a debate on what the most important commandment was to keep. So he went and asked Jesus, and of course he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, which means that love for God is the most important thing. That totally makes sense. But then Jesus quickly followed it up saying that other command, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. So if I got this answer, my next question would be, so what is really more important, loving God or loving your neighbor? It's like when you text someone and you give them two options and they reply, sounds great. And you're left there like, cool. But for Jesus, to even ask the question means that we don't really get the point. So for Jesus, there are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa. They're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape is not a feeling for someone that happens to you, like our common phrase, falling in love. But for Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. It's sending a king to earth to be born as a baby and to die a criminal's death to save you and me. That's love. It's sacrificial. It's not self-serving in any way. Jesus also went on to teach people that a genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who were in difficult situations who couldn't repay you even if they tried. His heart was always for the outcast, for the underdog, for the widow and the orphan. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love actually is the reflection of Jesus himself. So he took it even further. He said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy, but didn't actually follow through. But this was 100% how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving people around him in really practical ways. And he consistently moved towards the poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. And to top all of it off, when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of the time by calling them out on their corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. He died for the selfish, selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. Now I know we're talking about Christmas today, but the point of Christmas was that Easter was coming. And that on Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that the power of God's love for the world was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And as the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christmas ends up being living proof of God's overflowing love for this world which means that the purpose of our existence is to receive this love that has come to us in a tiny baby in a manger named Jesus, and then give it back out to others, completely others-focused, self-serving, self, or sorry, not self-serving, self-giving love. We live in a world where so many other things pass for cheap substitutes of true, godly, as it was meant to be in the Bible, love. If you look closely at the Gospels, you would discover that each defines love in a particular way. A commentary that I was reading described it as this. 
In Matthew's gospel, we see that true love is a sacrificial love that puts the lives and needs of others before our own. In Mark's gospel, the writer sees true love as a life of service to others and examines the cost and is willing to pay the price of being a humble servant. In Luke's gospel, the good doctor tells us that what true love is, is a healing love. It reaches out to those around us who are hurting, whether they are uh, acquaintances or strangers or best friends, and seeks their betterment. And in John's gospel, the apostle tells us that true love gives everything it has. It holds back nothing. And now this is the love of Advent. This kind of love is the essence, the core, the whole center, focus, hub of the Christmas story. Love is the purpose of every aspect of what the Christmas story was. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And God so loved us that he humbled himself to become a helpless baby, giving up all that he was truly worth to be a full man, to come to suffer and die and rise again for us. Christmas time is a season when the love of God came to us, giving up everything and knowing what the end of his time on earth would be, and yet still loving us enough to come anyways. But the real challenge is to continue feeling and showing that love when Christmas is over so that it fills the entire year. So here is our challenge for us today, is spreading the love that is what Christmas is all about. We love because we are loved first by God. So let's talk about what we can do to love our neighbor this Christmas. The first thing is that love is present. The Christmas season brings a lot of different emotions and they aren't always about the beauty and magic of Christmas. In hard times, we crave connection and support and loving your neighbor means being present for the hard moments. Throughout the entire Bible, God constantly hears the needs and cries of his people and he responds to them. Don't let the busyness of this season take you away from being present in the hard moments of others. Take time to really listen to the needs of your coworkers, your friends, or your neighbors. Be proactive in finding out if they have somewhere to go. Invite them to your Christmas dinner. Invite them to the Christmas Eve service. Go take a walk and look at Christmas lights with hot chocolate. In the midst of all the great Christmas festivities, don't miss out on being there for the people that need you. The whole Christmas season celebrates Jesus as Emmanuel, which means God with us. This changes everything because God is with us and for us. We are not alone. And neither should our neighbors be as we have an incredible opportunity during this season to connect with them and remind them that God is with them too. The second one is love is active. Because we are loved by Jesus, we are called to take the first step toward our neighbor. Jesus took the first step towards us. We need to do the same. We can't wait until we hopefully just bump into them shoveling at the same time outside or taking out the trash. Let's go over and knock on their door. This year, invite them to that ugly Christmas sweater party that you're throwing. Invite them um, over for coffee. Drop off Christmas cookies. Hopefully I didn't bake them because that wouldn't really be a gift. But then start the pay it forward trend in the drive-thru. There are so many different ways that we can take the first step in loving someone else. Take the opportunity of this season to connect and bless someone. Jesus did not wait for the world to come to him, he came to us. And this time of year where people are usually more open to connecting and conversing with you, it's the perfect time to take that first step. And the third one is love is more. 
Love is not passive, and it also isn't optional. Loving your neighbor means being uncomfortable and at times inconvenienced. Stepping out and inviting someone to dinner to go to church with you, to go for a walk, I get that all of that opens us up to rejection. But love is so much more important than our temporary feelings. There's a story in the Bible in Luke 10 where a man asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies to him with this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and when he, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Love is more than status. It's more than personal gain. Love is a baby in a manger. It's humility, and it's loving people like we have been loved first. As we finish our Sundays of Advent and prepare for Christmas on Saturday, I want to close with one last thought. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. When Jesus came to this earth, he brought a special kind of love, one that was unselfish, it was compassionate, and completely unconditional. He loves us just as we are. Our condition is irrelevant to his love. It's a love that picks us up just where we are in life and carries us further than we could ever think we could go on our own. And he gives us this love so we can give it away in the same unselfish, compassionate, and unconditional way. He gave it to us freely, and he expects us to give it freely as well. He tells us that this love will be our trademark. It will distinguish us as people who Jesus has loved first. And that is what the Christmas story gives to all of us that perfect love. So as we close, let's pray together. God, we thank you for what Christmas means. We thank you for that baby laying in a manger that came to save the world, God. You weren't unaware of what the cost was when you came, but you knew that we were worth it. And God, in the moments that we feel that we aren't, remind us of who we were created to be like. And God, I pray that as we go out today and for the rest of this Christmas season, we can freely give your love in the same way that you freely gave it to us. So God, today we thank you for who you are. We thank you for Advent. And most importantly, we thank you for love. Amen.